Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Good morning. So, my name is Mike, part of our staff team here. I uh, Also, I work for Covenant Youth of Alaska statewide, so there's just all kinds of things I do, but happy to be a part of our church and happy to share the word this morning, and especially this topic. As I looked at into the topic we're going to look at today, um, this up front, I, w- I just want to say there's more here than what I'm going to give you. <laughs> And I would love for you to push on the door and to see how far back this topic goes. I think you'll be delighted, you'll be renewed, and there's a lot to learn uh, for me and for all of us and to walk in. So we're in a series, uh, New Year's Revelations. Uh, which way do I point this? Sorry. Well, anyway, we are in a series. Uh, and and the, cent- the central theme is that we're looking at snapshots of who Jesus is, this New Year's revelation. As Jesus has come, we just celebrated Christmas and Advent. Now we're looking at, well, who is he? And in the book of John, and you can look at the book of John. We're not teaching from the book of John, but at the end it says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And there's so many snapshots of who we get to see Jesus is and what he did and and what he was about. So today we're going to look specifically at the the area of mercy, justice, and hope, uh, and specifically for the poor. Um, So Father, would you open our eyes this morning? Would you lift up your son who came for us? We are all poor in one way or another. We have all received what we do not deserve. We come to you in need today. We need renewal. Some of us need material goods. Some of us need hope. Some of us need to be set free. And the Son came to do those things. So Lord, we lift you up today. Would you help us understand who you are and to move toward you? In Jesus' name, amen. So today's portrait, Jesus hope, and good news for the poor. Big topic, more than what I could do. And before I sound, you may not think I sound smart, but I feel smart. And I got a lot of the ideas this morning from this uh, book by Tim Kelleher, Tim Kelleher, Timothy Keller, Generous Justice. So if you want a, a book that gives you a good snapshot on the idea of justice handled by someone who's a great teacher, Timothy Keller does a great job. And it's a pretty, pretty easy read. And so some of my language is his this morning. I just want to give him credit. So are we all on board with that? Uh, I am. So. so hope for the poor. And when we talk about the poor, ah, it looks like not everything showed up. Oh, there it is. I used this uh, quadrant last time I taught. Uh, being made in the image of God, we were made with lots of authority. That means the ability to do meaningful action that we have the, the authority to do action. 
meaningful work. And then also vulnerability. Being made in the image of God makes, means we're highly vulnerable. But this can get distorted. We're, we're intended for flourishing, but what can happen if you have no authority and high vulnerability is poverty. And so one way to think about poverty is vulnerability. So it's not just financial. There's all kinds of ways that we could be in poverty. But certainly financial is one of those. Then another issue that we have with this scale is if we have um, spiritual oppression digitally here. There we go. If we have no vulnerability and low authority, we're, not, we're just kind of in it for ourselves. We have safety. And that's not, that's not God's heart either. We were made to be engaged in our world then lastly, kind of the contrast of poverty, the opposite side, is to have high authority and no vulnerability. You're just a taker and a user. And you know what? And I, I could be in all of these things. So, and, and you may be like me this morning, where you, you can resonate with different things in our life. And so we want to come, what does God want to do with poverty? So let's first step into the idea, what does it feel like to be vulnerable? I'm going to just have you close your eyes, and I just want you to think about that question. And I want, what does it, what would it feel like for me to be vulnerable? Well, some of the words that I came up with, and it's, again, it's not a complete list. And there's people right here in our community, in, in this room today, where you, you likely feel vulnerable. And, I, and there's good news. Jesus came for those, for all of us. But specifically, the heart of God, he calls himself a father to the fatherless. He didn't introduce himself as the defender of the powerful he is the father to the fatherless. That is part of the heart of God. So these, these are some of the words I had for how I felt when I thought about that. I felt invisible. If I really thought I had no authority, I would feel really invisible. Like I, I didn't matter and I couldn't get traction. I would feel unlovely. Sometimes what makes us vulnerable are things that we do to ourselves. Um, I would feel unworthy, perhaps. Uh, if I felt vulnerable, I would not feel like I was worth being belonging to the center of society. Sometimes uh, I thought about things when I feel vulnerable and that maybe my own decisions, there might be a deep sense of guilt over something I've done. So guilt is pain over what I've done. A real toxic form of that is shame where there's pain over who I am. And so there's a lot of struggle with that in our state. A lot of people struggle with shame. And it may even be over, I didn't do it, but some, someone did something to me, and I have pain over who I am. And so there can be this deep sense of shame. The vulnerable could feel that. I could feel chained. I, I loved the song this morning about uh, chains be broken, lives be made new. The vulnerable can feel stuck right where they are, like there's no hope. I'm alone and no one is going to take up my cause. 
and there's no sense of belonging or care. So brokenness, when we think about poverty and vulnerability, there's, there's a lot of different areas. There's financial, there's social, sexual, relational, emotional. There can be hunger or material needs. There can be security. So vulnerability can be a very complex uh, topic. And it also happens, it's not a simple, this is why it happened, uh, a lot of times if we look in the Old Testament in the book of Job, his friends were all telling him, well, what did you do, Job, to deserve this? And so we're going to look at, the Bible uh, talks about justice, and we're going to look a little bit about um, vulnerability and the complexity of it. So this whole topic, I would say, is the topic of justice. And so the word misfat, it's used 200 times in the Old Testament. Very often. The most basic definition is to treat people equitably. So that can mean, you know, you and I have the same consequences for the same actions, good or bad. But it also can mean that more than just meeting out punishment for wrongdoings, it also means giving people their rights. So sometimes, and this, is, this would be called a corrective justice or rectifying justice. It's like a secondary form of justice. We're going to look at another word that's a primary form, and that's righteousness. And we'll, we'll look at that in a second. But misfat is rectifying justice. So sometimes I'm not getting the rights I need to have. That happens. That happens all over the place. The vulnerable happens to them all the time. They get taken advantage of by people who have tons of authority and no vulnerability. Does that make sense? We see that in the world. So part of justice is giving people rights. Part of justice is also giving that we all get what we deserve, uh, whether it's punishment, care, protection. So how this word is used uh, in Psalm uh, 146, 7 through 9, he executes justice, misfat, for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who live justly. The Lord watches over the immigrant and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Lord, let it be true. (laughs) Another verse where we see this word for justice. The Lord your God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the immigrant, giving him food and clothing from Deuteronomy 10, 17-18. And often... We see in Scripture, God is, instead of all these lavish titles, he goes by, he's introduced as, I am the father to the fatherless. What a powerful name of God. What a powerful attribute. That's from Psalm 68, 4 and 5. So we have this sense, in God's heart, there is this very real um, value of all of rectifying all that is broken. And that when we look at the the topic of salvation, it's not just about getting to heaven, but he's renewing and he will restore all things. It may not happen in our lifetime while we're on earth. It may not come to be. But it does not mean he won't do it. It's just on the timeline that he desires. And we I spent that's one of my favorite topics is salvation. He, and I spent a summer message boring you all with that, but I love the topic. 
He is, he has saved me from the penalty of sin. He is saving me from the power of sin. And he will save me from the presence of sin and all that is broken. That, that is salvation as a whole. So this other word, zedakah, uh, this word can be translated as being just in English, but it refers more directly to the life of right relationships. So this is righteousness. So it's a form of justice. And this would be, we would call this primary justice. So a life of right relationships. So if I were living right in my family, there would be no need for rectifying justice. If I treated my kids right, if I treated my wife right, if I treated my dog right, if, you know, all those things, there'd be no need for corrective justice. In our community, if we lived with righteousness, right with God, and therefore right with others, if we actually live like that, there'd be no need for rectifying justice. Does that make sense? It's primary justice. It's a life of right relationships. So, biblical righteousness is inevitably social. It's all about right relationships. So, when we think about righteousness, it's more than just absence of sin, like uh, that I have spiritual, my spiritual disciplines are strong, I have sexual chastity, diligence in prayer and Bible study, my private morality is good. That's, That's a part of righteousness. But righteousness is also right relationships. Does that make sense? All of that is righteousness. If you want to look scripturally too, when we think about leadership and kings, kings were called to love what is good and to do what is right. So if they set a community and a nation in a way that would follow God and we'd have right relationships, there would be flourishing that would happen. So vulnerability, complex topic. So we're going to, sorry, we're giving you all this context, and then we're going to look at our scripture. So we're, we're getting to scripture, but it, it matters because it can help illuminate our, our text today. So the first area of poverty and vulnerability is oppression. This could be spiritual oppression. That's very real. And in our text today, we're going to see a woman was bound by Satan for 18 years. So she needed justice from Jesus. And it was spiritual oppression, and it was causing physical difficulty. You know, so it's very complex, very complex. Systemic oppression. That happens. Systems can be oppressive. It's true. I believe it's true. Systems can be oppressive. Individuals can be oppressive. So if you look here, and this is, you might not like me much this morning, but uh, that's okay. That's not my job. If we look at this, the idea of oppression, and we look at one of our forms of government, so that our Democrat version of our government values justice through systems, and and there's good reason for it. We need justice in our systems. Secondly, vulnerability comes, if you look at the bottom one here, personal consequences. If you look at our Republican wing of our government, they value justice through your own choices freedom. Both are good. Both are incomplete. Does that make sense? Vulnerability is more complex than just any one of those two things. The third would be calamity. Bad things happen in a broken world. Things happen that are terrible. 
and it creates vulnerability for people. And so it's incredibly complex. This is a complex topic, but God loves people. And he calls us to be his sons and daughters that walk with him in this. All right, so now if you want to join me, let's look at Luke chapter 13. It's going to set the stage for our short time in Scripture today. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. And I'll read it from here so I stay in step. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Amen. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on one of those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall, lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Then he, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So we're going to look at, what I'd like to do is for us to look through the lenses of the people in the story. So if you can, going back to when you felt like what it felt to be vulnerable, let's get into the lenses of the woman. So what would it it have felt like to be oppressed for 18 long years, to be bent over? What would that have felt like? I don't know if I would have kept going. (laughs) 18 years of being stuck, of being bound, it said by Satan, 18 long years. So this spiritual oppression manifested in poor health, poor physical health. And that, you know, that's, that's an incredible thing in our society too. Uh, some of you know this, so this is a little side note on health. Um, we had a little slip-and-slide kickball game out here a summer and a half ago, almost two summers ago. And there was about five of us playing, and we had plastic visqueen, lots of dish soap and baby oil, and, and a 40-year-old who shouldn't have been playing. <laughs> I slipped and fell and sprained my MCL and tore part of my patellar tendon. And it hurt, but it was like, ah, well, life has hurt before. Anyway, what ended up happening is that it just, I went to a surgeon and they had an MRI and it's like, yep, it's halfway torn. Uh, You can get surgery or you can let it rest and see if it gets better. So I let it rest. I stopped hiking. I stopped doing a lot of things I like to do to help keep things called pounds off of you. And and guess what? I found every pound I'd lost. It It was great. It was great. But actually, I started to get really discouraged. 
And then I went, and because of timing, the surgery is actually really not as bad as Pastor Todd's, but it was a, it's a year-long recovery to have your patellar tendon restored because they were going to cut it and do all kinds of stuff, even though it was only partially torn. Long story short, because it happened on the church property, it was a work, worker's comp claim. And so I ended up going back to the surgeon, and he's like, well, I don't want to cut it. Why don't you go to PT? I was like, okay, I, am, I don't want to cut it either. So let's go to PT. And so I started going to physical therapy. And for three months now I've been going. And I actually, I Nordic skied during Christmas break and it didn't hurt. So what it did though, is it really opened my eyes to people who have, are stuck in poor health and have no care. That's an issue. <laughs> it is hard to be alive we, we need to support our healthcare workers who are Christians. We need to get behind them in any way we can. We need to create systems where people can have access to healthcare. I'm not saying the government has to pay for that, but it needs to happen. Does that make sense? If we're not going to organize our government in a way that it provides that, then we as Christians need to be very engaged in creating health for people. Because it is a part of freedom and recovery. Because now I, I do have hope and the ability to engage. And the reality is, is I probably couldn't have afforded to go to the PT twice a week for three months. That's, that's, it's expensive. So we need to really be creative as we think about our community and how do we bring justice through uh, physical health for others. But it was tied to spiritual oppression at the same time. And I want to really lift up our prayer team as they week in and week out are ready to pray. And I've been using them a lot lately. <laughs> so I'd encourage you, go back and be prayed for. Let's fight spiritual problems with spiritual warfare. So back to our story, back to the woman. Instead of being invisible, Jesus, it says Jesus saw her. So as you think about being where you're at, if you're vulnerable, would you allow Jesus to see you? Would you give yourself the hope that he sees you right where you're at? And he can meet you right where you're at. And then he takes action. Jesus lives out the heart of God. And this is justice for the oppressed. So this woman got to experience that 18 long years. And in one moment, her older brother, her closest relative, came and rescued her. That's what it means to be our Redeemer. So the woman had a front row seat at the heart of God. So the disciples, uh, it doesn't mention them here, but they wrote it and they were there. What did they learn? So they see this contrast. They see religious observance, the synagogue ruler. He knew all the rules. He knew how to perform the religious duties. He knew how to run church. And then he saw, they saw kingdom living, the kingdom of God, where God writes what is wrong. And so they saw this, and Jesus is about the kingdom, not just about religious duties. They also saw this the, in the prophetic text, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah, Micah, they used justice, our treatment, of the poor, of the vulnerable, as our indicator of our hearts. It's 
all through those scriptures, all through the voice of those prophets. You're not my people. You're not doing a good job of my people because you don't care for the poor. Basically, that's an oversimplification. You are religious, but it doesn't matter to me because you don't do these things. This is me. If you're going to represent me, live this way. That is the exhortation of the prophets to us. And so the disciples got to see Jesus live that out um, and learn. So disciples, all about learning. So I learned reading and, and researching this topic. And probably my biggest corrective when I looked at this topic of justice and righteousness was overgiving. So this is a little freebie for you, and I'll try to land the plane here in a few minutes. But often I, I have thought of, in fact, we use the word charity, forgiving to the poor. The Bible does not call it charity. It calls it an act of righteousness. In Matthew 6, 1 through 4, you could look that up. When you do your act of righteousness, you're giving to the needy. Don't let anyone see what you're doing. Don't let your left hand know what the right hand's doing. Don't, don't get a parade about it. Do it. So it made me think about my own giving. And, and this is not giving to the church. So we're not trying to... This is giving to the poor is an act of righteousness. Giving to the vulnerable is an act of righteousness. It's not just optional for the believer. Does that make sense? That is really challenging for me. That was... One of the biggest challenges of this message, as I read, read the book uh, by Tim Keller, wow, this is righteousness for us, that we would do this for the sake of justice. All right. So the people delighted in what Jesus was doing, loved it. Uh, and I think what we need to recognize there is that that's common ground for us in our society. At the end of the day, people want to see Leaders live righteously. They want to see justice performed. They want the kingdom of God. I believe that. And this is a way. When we live this way, it helps open up a door for the message that you can have life in Christ. Absolutely. We need to live this way, even for the sake of the people. It opens up a winsomeness for our Savior. So lastly, the synagogue rulers, the last set of lenses. We could probably relate to this person. Believe it or not, it's good for us to always put ourselves in the seat of the religious people Jesus was talking to. It's good for us. It is really good for us. They knew, they followed, and faithfully performed religious observances. Um, and healing on the Sabbath was the perfect time for this person because the Sabbath was more important following the Sabbath. And that means a day of rest set aside only for God and for man. But man, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I was talking with Dave Buchanan this morning, and one of the theologians says that Jesus is saying he is the new Sabbath. Essentially, he is our rest. He is higher than the Sabbath. He is higher than the rule. He will break what seems like a rule for the sake of liberty for others, to set people free, because that is the kingdom of God. It's not just set in observances. So, as we think about this, uh, the last thing I want to key in on is that when Jesus said, when he was reasoning with everyone, he said, she is a, a daughter of Abraham. So as we think about who we are, 
Jesus offers true identity for us that can help us walk in this, to be sons and daughters, daughters and sons of our true father, who's a father to the fatherless. So I'd love for you to think about, I know there's people vulnerable today. Do you feel you're vulnerable today? Are you willing to come toward the Savior, toward Jesus, and and to set you free? It may have been uh, from your own doing. And the reason why I want to be just encouraging you is we all are stuck. We all have been stuck at different times. God's grace, he poured it out. I did not earn anything. To become his son, I didn't earn anything. It was a free gift of God. And so in his grace, if I have done something to get myself stuck, welcome to the club. (laughs) Be set free from that. Take your true identity as sons and daughters. That's your birthright. It's not to stay stuck. If you've wandered off somewhere, come back home. Secondly, if you need breakthrough, let's pray for you. Uh, Schedule a time, and let's keep calling on the Lord to break through. Uh, If you you find yourself in an oppressive situation, talk to someone. One of my friends uh, who lives in Koyuk, her brother kept stealing her money. She made money, she'd save it, and her brother would steal it. And it's like, holy cow, that situation, somebody needs to step in there. She felt powerless to stop him, and it made her very angry. So as, you, as we take our birthright as sons and daughters, I would like you to consider, would you have eyes that see in new ways? When you look at the vulnerable, when, would you look for the vulnerable, number one? Lord, give me new eyes to see and interpret what I'm seeing. Give me ears that hear what's actually happening. Give me a mouth that speaks blessing and dignity toward others. Give me hands that heal, protect, and care. May my purse give righteousness. Let my heart be one that confesses, disagrees with God about who I am and who he is. And may my heart be one that forgives and pardons. So as we think about justice, it can be a little touchy, especially when you talk about money. People waste money. It's true. I waste money. Uh, But let us tie it to the grace of God. It comes from this overflowing river of favor, mercy, and grace for you and I. Jesus could have said, yeah, they they trampled my blood. I'm not going to be near them. He, he gives all he has for our benefit, even though I misuse his gift. It is okay. We have received generously. It is okay to give generously. As people are stuck, they will become healthy and become new. But let us receive from him what we need for the day. But these things were written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Father, thank you for just a little snapshot of Jesus engaging 
as he's teaching in a synagogue, he engages brokenness and brings justice. Father, thank you that your heart is that way. It's not just about rules, but you are bringing renewal and restoration. Lord, we pray and we cry out today for those in our congregation and in our community that need your deliverance. Would you come quickly? Don't delay, Lord. Break through where it's needed. Set captives free. Lord, I pray for those in our congregation that are stuck on their, because of their own choices. Awaken. Lord, let us come home to who we are. Let us take our true identities as sons and daughters. And Lord, would you send us to set others free this week? Give us eyes, mouths, ears, hands that see and bless. And Lord, lead us into a new season as a community here where we walk out justice like you would do it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite us to stand and respond.